Greetings ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest video for Retreat Hell, taken from the subreddit HFY. The link to the original is down below, and if you enjoy the story, head over there and let the author know. If you wish to support this channel, there are many ways to do so, also, strangely enough, listed down below. Don't forget to subscribe, or we'll have a platoon of angry cat-like creatures attacking you in your sleep. Anyways, on to the sci-fi. Chapter 17, Part 3 The door shut behind Bradford, and Michaels leaned forward to scrub his face with his hands. Well, that was painful. You're damn fucking right it was, Barakas said, facing about the rumor. Realizing what he was doing, he stopped and took a calming breath. He turned back to the desk and took a seat, heaving a sigh as he let the tension blow away. Do you have any thoughts, Major? Michaels lifted his head, looking at the Jack officer. Mal, she could probably make a decent argument to get anything she said thrown out of court. He flipped a hand, rubbing his eyes. But I have a sneaking suspicion that you weren't trying to get a convicting testimony, Sergeant Major. Ha! <laughs> Baracus's lips twisted to a half smirk, half crimmins. I might have gotten a little carried away, but she would never have been brought in for this for any court admissible affidavit. And your opinion, Sergeant Major? It's a clusterfuck, sir. He shook his head, his face twitching into a frown. If we really wanted to, we could easily pull up a dozen UCMJ violations to charge her with for what she did. But at the same time, he shook his head. If she hadn't done what she did, Anya would have succeeded in his murder plot. Alleged murder plot, Blass said. Baracus waved a hand at him, but didn't argue the point. She took swift and decisive action and saved one of her men, but she completely lost it at the end. He shook his head. Yeah, Michael sighed. If she hadn't lost control at the end, we could probably just brush everything else under the rug. He paused. Well, uh, maybe not completely. But we could handle it at a much lower level. Baracus nodded, and Blast shrugged his eyes in silent agreement. Given that other recommendation we've been sent up, any issues would probably have gotten dropped pretty quick. Michael snorted. Yeah. No, I'm not looking forward to that conversation, he frowned. Then took a deep breath, pushing himself back from his desk. Do you have the paperwork I'm going to need for this, Major? Yes, sir, Blast said, setting the folder on the desk. I'll be in my office if you have any questions, sir. Captain Holt should be stopping by with the results of his investigation. I'll advise you on that report once it's complete. Very well, Major, Michael said, nodding at him as he left. He pulled the folder to the side of the desk and with great reluctance began ripping through the papers inside. Three hours later, Michael frowned as he read through the completed report on the preliminary investigation into the Gannon camp incident for the second time. He had multiple generals to brief in 40 minutes, and he wanted to be able to speak intelligently. A light knock came from the frame as he opened the door to pull his attention away. Colonel Michaels, a man stood in his doorway, slightly leaning into the office, mid-thirties, with a hairline that was just starting to recede. He wore business attire and was clearly civilian. Can I help you? Michaels asked, looking up from the report. If the man had made it past his secretary, he had some importance. John Weller, he said with a smile. State Department, I'm here on behalf of the President. Come on in, Mr. Weller, and shut the door. Michael suppressed a sigh. Fuck! Of course, Colonel, 
Meta said, stepping into the office and doing so. Michaels waved at one of the chairs in front of his desk. Have a seat. Thank you. Meta slipped into the chair with a relaxed ease, bringing one leg up to rest at the ankle of his knee. And um, what can I do for the State Department and the President, Mr. Weller? This is just a courtesy visit, Colonel, Bella said. I've already spoken to General Harley and General Zawick. I'm sure they would have called you already if they weren't stuck in a back-to-back meetings. He folded his hands at his lap, shifting in his seat. I'm here about the incident with one of your Marines and a Gandan officer. Damn. I knew it was going all the way up, but I didn't expect to come all the way down that fast. Michaels held his poker face. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Yes, that, he said. And how does the president want this to be handled? The president doesn't have an opinion, but I gave him a small shake of his head. So long as Gandon isn't interested in pursuing the matter, which they don't appear to be. He sees no reason to tell the Marine Corps how to handle its business, so long as it operates in accordance with regulation. Michael narrowed his eyes, studying the man for a moment. I'm an old infantryman, Mr. Weller. If there's some hidden meaning in what you're telling me, you're going to have to be more blunt. No hidden meaning, Colonel, Weller laughed. The President's orders are that the Marine Corps is to handle this matter however the Marine Corps sees fit. The President will back whatever is decided. Weller sat up, tapping the armrest of his chair. That's all I had to say, Colonel, he said, and stood up. Like I said, just a courtesy call. He pulled a business card out and offered it to Michaels. If there's anything I or the State Department can do to help with, uh, give me a call. Michael stood, accepting the card. Thank you, uh, Mr. Weller. If I think of anything, I'll let you know. You do that, Colonel. Have a good day. With a smile, he turned, then walked out of the office, leaving the door open behind him. Michaels looked at the card, then sat back down. He frowned, twiddling it between his fingers, lost in thought. Huh. Rin dropped down on his rack, still slowly toweling water off his fur. He would dry himself off more vigorously, but his arms were barely more than limp noodles, and lightly pawing at the towel on his head was about all he could manage at the moment. This investigation had brought up everything else to a skidding halt, but apparently nothing stops P.T. Hey, uh, where's Jabs? Davies asked. I haven't seen her all day. Sergeant got called to talk to the CO, Dubois said. Don't know what it's about. That's not good, Kemper said. She's been there all day, Samson asked. Yeah, Dubois knelt down to stow his toiletry kit in his bag. Since 09 this morning. Feck. The outer door opened, then slammed shut on its spring, echoing down the hall. A slow set of footsteps followed. A moment later, Bradford trudged into the bunk room. Rinzias snapped up as soon as he saw her, and he pulled the towel off his head. She looks... Like someone died. Silence fell over the room as everyone took notice. She walked to her bunk with hollow steps, standing next to it a moment before turning and sitting down like an automaton, oblivious to the squad watching her. She sat and stared past the wall. Her only movement was a jaw, clenching and unclenching, her knuckles turning white as she gripped the edge of a cot. Rin stood up, stepped around his own cot, and walked across a few steps of extra space that she had been given to separate her rack. Carefully, quietly, he sat down next to her and waited. Oh, hey, guys! Kowalski shouted loudly, clapping his hands. I heard earlier the Air Force has got a new rec room set up, complete with flight simulator. 
We totally gotta go try it. Bruh, I've, uh, like, always wanted to try that. Yeah, Dubois said, glancing at Bradford and Run before throwing his boots on and grabbing his cover. Yeah, uh, th- that sounds li- like a fun idea. Are they even gonna let us use it? Gomez asked. <laughs> Since when has that ever stopped us? Kimber said, heading for the door. Let's go! You know, I think I'll stay here. Davies got out before Samson jammed his cover of his head and pushed him towards the door. Come on, man, Alvis said, grabbing his arm and hauling him out of the bunk. Let's go have some fun. Yeah, hurry up, guys. Let's go, Kowalski shouted. Move it, Marines. Seconds later, the outer door was slamming behind the last of them. Rin's left ear twitched as he watched them go, his right ear still locked on Bradford as silence descended. He turned back to her, both ears flicked up in realization. She struggled to not show tears. Slowly, he reached out and lightly placed a hand on her shoulder. She turned and looked at him, tears welling up in her eyes. He saw fear, loss, and despair in her eyes, and his heart lurched. She took a deep, shuddering breath her jaw quivering as her composure cracked. Then she leaned over and buried her face in his shoulder. She clung to him like a life raft. With a single cry, a dam burst and tears came as she sobbed into his shoulder. At least my first still damp popped into his head before he could chase the thought away, berating himself or even worrying about it. He brought his arms up and wrapped them around her, slowly rocking back and forth as he gently nuzzled the side of her head. Rin lay on his rack, staring up at the shadowed ceiling. Bradford was asleep in her bunk, exhausted after her ordeal. She had said she didn't think that she'd be able to sleep, but by the time he'd returned from turning the lights off, she was hard out. His ears twitched as the outer door to the barracks opened, followed by the shuffle of feet as the rest of the squad returned. The barracks room door opened, and Rin clicked his flashlight on, aimed at the door, halting the first marine in his tracks. He clicked it off. Shh, he said, projecting the whisper across the room. The shush was quickly passed down the line, and the squad quietly snuck back into the room with a mix of snorts and muffled chuckles, eye rolls, and annoyed grumbles. From their whispered comments and muffled laughs, Rin gathered that the thing Kowalski had decided to do had turned out to be a bust but they had still managed to sneak into an Air Force barracks, steal their toilet paper, and used it to creatively decorate another Air Force's unit's barracks. As the squad settled down in their own racks, Rin felt a pair of eyes boring into him, and a glance in the dark revealed it to be Davies. The Marine continued to glare at him, even as he rolled over and tried to get sleep. And he wondered how he would have to deal with the situation as he felt the malevolent gaze long after the rest of the squad had fallen asleep. Why are we here? Kemba whispered out of the corner of his mouth. He kept his eyes locked forward, standing at attention in the ranks with the rest of the battalion. It was an odd formation, with two sets of three ranks facing each other, other almost like a gauntlet. Scuttlebutt, is that you gasp for it? Kowalski muttered. Don't know why. Lock it up, Bois ordered through his teeth, his lips barely moving. A commotion was happening at the far end of the line. Rin heard Anyo's voice shouting in outrage, followed by a quieter voice that he couldn't quite make out. Silence fell 
broken only by the crunch of boots as Anyo marched down the formed ranks of marines and artificers. He wore his parade dress uniform. Two bite masters marched on either side of him. They were also at parade dress, but the halberds they bore through a polished were real. Rin suppressed an ear twitch as he realized what was happening. That is not an honor guard. Despite his injuries and the bandaging that made it difficult to recognize him, Anyo marched smartly to the end of the column. At the head of the formation, the battalion leadership stood behind Duke Yashe. The marines were in their normal combat uniforms, but the duke was distinctive in full parade dress. Anyo came to a sharp halt in front of the duke, his body stiff at attention. Years locked in a regal sweep, he gave no bow, a show of defiance of protest. Battalion! Right flank! Right face! Bryn pivoted to his right along with the marines around him. Battalion! Left flank! Left face! Boots stomped as the other half of the battalion pivoted. Night, Captain. Adio. Duke Yushay's voice cut across the crowd. You stand accused of the attempted murder of a fellow comrade in odds. Of conspiring the miscarriage of justice. Of lying to a fellow officer and noble peer. And of defying the order of your commanding officer and lord. You've been witnessed and observed engaging in action of the highest impropriety. Your conduct has brought disgrace and shame to the royal host and to the crown. You shall be tried for your attempted felony in a court of your peers, but your conduct cannot and shall not be tolerated. With a slight flick of Duke's ear, the pikesman grabs Anyo's arm, securing him in place. The young lord's ears snapped up and his whole body tensed, but he made no sound. Henceforth you shall be stripped of all rank and titles awarded by the royal host. Yishai reached out and ripped the epaulets from Anyo's shoulders. Your service is rendered defunct. Yishai ripped the gold banding from Anyo's cuffs. Yearned any honors and accolades that you have been awarded are now void. The bevy of medals and riddance were torn from Anyo's chest. Now you no longer have any authority to command any member of the royal host by rank, by title, or by birth. Yushai stepped back. Henceforth, you are not recognized by the royal host, and those honorable worthies who comprise it shall no longer acknowledge your presence, nor show you any deference. You deserve none. Begone! The pike master swung around with Anya still held between them, turning to face back the way they came. He attempted to shake them loose, but they held firm, and marched him back down the open corridor, past the marines and artificers who were no longer facing him. Once the sound of their boots had faded into the distance, Yishai gave a short nod, then turned sharply to his right and marched away himself. Michaels and Winters exchanged a brief glance. Then Michaels turned to Barakas. He said something Ren couldn't make out, and they exchanged salutes before Michaels turned and walked away in the opposite direction with Major Winters. Barakas waited a moment for both of them to leave. Battalion dismissed. Do you think the charges are against him will stick? Michaels watched out of the window as Anya was loaded into a carriage, his wrists bound in iron manacles. I've made my recommendations, Rishai said, and this is a disgrace for him and his family. There is a butt there, he sipped his coffee, wishing it was something stronger. 
She shy, gave a brief flick of one ear. Yes, Lord Anya's family and uh, especially his father are very well connected. His expression remained stony, his ears motionless. I would not be surprised if we hear from him again. Hmm. Michaels took another sip of his coffee, then returned to his desk. Then the dreadful second artificer Yogay's arrest. She is in your custody, Kishay said, rolling his ears. The royal host does not have the uh, jurisdiction to remove her without your nation's authorization. So long as she remains so, the duke allowed Michaels to see the small smile of satisfaction. Michaels set his coffee on the desk and sat down. So she can't go home. Shy smile faded. Not right now, no, he flicked in here. But there is a war on, after all. I doubt she had any immediate plans to return home. Furthermore, these sorts of things tend to get forgotten amidst the large distraction of a campaign. Paperwork tends to get lost. He flicked his ear again. The bureaucracy of the military is not perfect, after all. No, Michael said, picking up his mug and taking another sip. I suppose it isn't. Radford stepped up to the doorway, a flash of deja vu striking her as she read the nameplate. This time, she had been directed to wear her dress blues and had been left standing outside the office at parade rest for three hours. Steeling herself against what was to come, she loudly rapped twice on the door, Manta, come from the inside, and she pushed through. She shut the door behind her and marched forward to stand at a crisp attention in front of the desk. Sergeant Bradford reporting as ordered, sir. Her entire chain of command was present. Lieutenant Mayers, Staff Sergeant Rickles, Captain Spader, and First Sergeant Cartree, Lieutenant Colonel Michaels, Major Winters, and Sergeant Major Baracus. The battalion JAG officer, Major Blass, was conspicuously absent. Sergeant Bradford, Michaels said, his hand folded on the desk in front of him. You are suspected of several charges of misconduct, any one of which, in the current state of war that we are in, could warrant a court-martial and be punished by death. Do you understand this? Yes, sir, I do, she said, staring at a fixed point above his head. Her expression was stony, her whole body tense. But she was careful not to completely lock up. The last thing she wanted to do was cause herself to pass out. Sergeant Bradford, you executed a major liberty mission without a detailed plan from your subordinates. Your chain of command failed you in that we did not direct you to do so, nor ensure that such a plan was established. But that does not excuse your failure to ensure the successful execution of an incident-free liberty. Do you understand this, sir? Yes, sir. Following the loss of a liberty partner, you not only failed the proper protocol and take all measures to report the incident up your chain of command, ensure the accountability of the rest of your party, and seek proper command assistance. You went rogue, pursuing resolution under your own power and authority, in direct contradiction to my standing policy and orders and the standing policy of the Marine Corps. Do you understand why that policy exists, Sergeant Bradford? Sir. Yes, sir. Then explain it to me, Sergeant. Sir. Marines jumping into such situations further places themselves at risk of being captured or killed. They also create the risk of escalating a situation to immediate violence, which could get the other Marine killed immediately, or both Marines killed, or expose both Marines to criminal charges or of assault, or worse. It is only in the most extreme and dire circumstances that Marines should take action instead of calling for law enforcement and other authorities. And did you have any clear indication of such an extreme or dire circumstance, Sergeant Bradford? Sir, no, sir. You also drew not only the rest of your squad, but two other Marines from Echo Company into this incident, placing all of them at risk and further increasing the chances of a major incident. Do you understand this, Sergeant? Sir, 
Yes, sir. My, did you do this, Sergeant Bradford? I need a backup, sir. She paused and uh, she took a breath. And we don't leave anyone behind, sir. Are you trying to justify your actions, Sergeant Bradford? Sir, no, sir. I'm just stating my reasoning at the time, sir. After collecting a posse of marines, you proceeded to storm a guard post at the entrance of the Gandlin camp to gain unauthorized action to said camp. But that sentry a marine, he would have been entirely within his right to shoot you and every member of your body. Do you understand this, Sergeant Bradford? Sir. Yes, sir. Do you understand the gravity reactions there, Sergeant Bradford? Sir. Yes, sir. Did you understand them at the time? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Then why did you do it, Sergeant? Sir. They had taken one of my men. I wanted him back. I was responsible for him, sir. I needed to get him back. He eyed her up and down before continuing. Once you had located Second Artificer Yacht from the Gandan unit, you procured Lance Corporal Brickle's sidearm and fired three shots into the air. Do you understand the current rules of engagement and the requirements of use of deadly force, Sergeant? Sir, yes, sir. Then why did you discharge your firearm, Sergeant? Sir, uh, they were about to hunger yet, sir. I needed to do something to get their attention and bring everything to a stop. Guns allowed, sir. Michael stared at her for a moment. Following that, you not only insulted the counterpart in the third line, you threatened to shoot him. The regulations for respect for officers also apply to our allies, and so does the punishment for misconduct. Do you understand this, Sergeant Bradford? Sir? Yes, sir. Do you understand how this is a gross violation of basic military discipline and conduct? Sir, yes, sir. Then why did you do it, Sergeant? Sir? He had given the order to kill one of my men, sir. She straightened her shoulders. She would fall on that sword a thousand times over. And one of his men was trying to kill and carry out that order. As an officer in a time of war, I will no doubt give many orders that were killed men under my command. Will you threaten to shoot me for giving them, Sergeant Bradford? Sir? No, sir. Would you threaten to shoot Major Winters? Sir? No, sir. What about Captain Spader, Lieutenant Mayers, your first sergeant, or platoon staff sergeant? Sir? No, sir. So you only threatened to shoot our allies then, Sergeant Bradford? Sir, no, sir. Are you sure, Sergeant? Then why did you threaten to shoot Captain Nidalus Shane? He was giving a lawful order. Sir, he was trying to execute one of my men for something he didn't do, sir. He was within every letter of the law, Sergeant. He had every authority to give that order. Sir, he was wrong, sir. You don't get to make that decision, Sergeant Bradford. Michael snapped. Yes, in this case, Night Captain Deshane was given false information. That doesn't excuse your breach of good order and discipline. There will be times when you are given an order that you think is wrong, but it is not because the people above you have intelligence that you don't have access to. There will be times when you are given orders that result in the death of the Marines under your command, but you have to follow them anyway, because if you don't, everyone else dies. Do you understand that, Sergeant Bradford? She took a shaky breath, her posture rigid, eyes locked above Michael's head. Sir, yes, sir. Michael stared at her for a long moment, his expression calm and neutral despite his recently raised voice. Radford struggled to not squirm under his gaze. After an eternity, he took a slow breath. After you presented proof that a yacht was not a deserter to night Captain Lechen, and a yacht was being released to your custody, you spotted Lord Anyo in the crowd. Is that correct? Sir? Yes, sir. According to every report, you charged into a crowd of soldiers, seized him, hauled him back out of the crowd, and then very neatly beat him to death. He was silent for a long moment before continuing in a quiet voice. You assaulted an officer, Sergeant Bradford. You understand what that means? 
She inhaled slowly. Sir? Yes, sir, she said, her own voice small and quiet. He stared at her for another moment, then unfolded his hands and leaned back in his chair. That is all for now, Sergeant Bradford. Wait outside. May I, sir, she said, performing an about face and marching out of the office. She shut the door behind her and then returned to her previous post in front of the office, placing herself at parade rest. That wasn't quite what I was expecting. She closed her eyes for a moment, clenching her jaw as she fought to suppress tears. My career is still over. End of part three. The algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click, click, click. With energy! And yes, I just want to give a quick thanks to the, the tier 5 patrons and channel members. Alithia, Barky, Fudic Yol, Cam Maxwell, Casper Onholtz, White Band 420, Lord Asrakal, Arcalian, and Oakfield.